0: Weekend, weekend edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I am Chase Farm, and Today, a trio of guests coming your way as we uh, we talk with Ronnie Hamilton, Ole Miss men's assistant basketball coach. We talk to Stadium our Network college football reporter, Brett McMurphy. And then we talk to historian and former college president, Michael Benson, coming up uh, on the show today. A show that's brought to you every single time by the Oxford Exxon, Highway 6 West in Oxford. Use the Speed Pass Plus app. When you head in to get fuel, you don't have to uh, Do have to use your hands. don't have to touch anything, which right now is a pretty big deal. So take advantage of that with the Speed Pass Plus out. Go next door to the Oxford Crystal. Use the drive-thru. And when you come to the drive-thru, there'll be a fishbowl up there. Put your name in it on April 27th, just uh, 10 days away. They will pull a uh, a name from each What A Combo Crystal location in Mississippi. That person will win free crystal for a year there with the uh, the crystal and What A Combo and Craddicle. And all those fine people there led by Ben and his family. So uh, take advantage of that. And again, uh, Clark Ford Studio with you tonight. 662-257-1900 is the phone number. Highway 25 South in Amory. Corey wants to be a truck guy, wants to be your car guy. And he will take care of you, everything from uh, making sure you get services when you need them. Help you out any way he can there with the, uh, not just the car buying experience, but the, the car owning experience as well when you purchase from Clark Ford. So take advantage of that whenever you are in the uh, in, in the business for car buying and now we'll uh, we'll start the show we'll get it off with, uh, with with guests to uh, to kick it right off Ronnie Hamilton Ole Miss men's ba- assistant basketball coach joining the show.
1: Ronnie Hamilton kind enough to join the podcast uh, it's been a little while since I've had a chance to chat with you how you been?
2: Been pretty good been pretty good just uh, I'll tell you um, our technology my, I, I, I think of myself as a pretty tech savvy guy but I've, I've had to grow in that respect too just being at home and trying to work from home so um it's a song that you would know you know i can't remember the artist now but i was joking with somebody the other day all i want to do is just zoom 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 <laughs> that's yeah. what it feels like so just with zoom <laughs> and facetime and technology and your laptop which is a tremendous thing that you can do what we're able to do even you know in the time where we can't really work like we would normally work um uh, it's been it's been cool to see, but uh, doing well. Hope you are as well.
1: Yeah, I, I am. Thank you for asking. Your crew at home's pretty young, right? I mean, your your you're, your little yeah. people are still pretty little.
2: Oh yeah, seven year old and five year old, and so my wife, man, bless her soul, she's become a like most parents have had to do. She's become a uh, uh, homeschool certified teacher um she asked me to be a substitute teacher this morning she said she needed a break so uh i told her we, we wouldn't get anything done today if that was the case but yeah we, they've been pretty good like i said it's amazing how you know even at a young age they can adapt and and, and they're even on their ipads with with zoom and and uh different activities through the school system so i mean it, it is really you know we all hope we can get back to normal sometime soon but just to see the things you can do in a short amount of time people can adjust and adapt School systems, you know, universities. Uh, it's been pretty kind of, pretty neat to see. But we 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 spent more time together uh, for a long dura- duration of time uh, than probably we 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 have. in ooh, probably six years uh, between probably going from University of Houston to to Middle Tennessee State. So, it's uh, it's been it's been different for sure.
1: Yeah. When we get back to normal, Ronnie, if teachers are smart, <laughs> they'll they'll hold out for a million dollars a year. I think everybody will be like, yep, give it to them.
2: No question, no question. We may all donate a little bit of our salary. To them and start treating them like we do going to restaurants. We want to give them tips you know, for what they do. But it is, it is, it is, it is. Uh, it's been interesting to say the least. Uh,
1: what What
2: is this like
1: for you, though? Because I mean, you've been a you've been a college coach for a while, and this is the time of the year that you're gone. I mean, you you are not home. You're out recruiting, and, and you're working on. Uh, finishing a class you're starting getting really in depth on the next class you're lining up kids to come to visits you're starting to get ready for the you're working in, in an off-season program with your guys on your current team you're starting to talk about uh, summer plans and getting ready for you know the summer camp circuit and all of that stuff and all that stuff is gone I mean it, it, you're, you're, you're having to manage your time in such a completely different way now it, it has to just feel surreal
2: it does. I, like I said, it's just you know you. The first week or so was really, really. I mean, it was it was it was totally, totally just different from what we're so accustomed to. Just as obviously, just as coaches and specifically basketball coaches, this time of year, like you said, you're getting ready to go out on the road and. It's so funny, even last night, it was about 10.30, sitting at home, and I forgot to cancel some rooms that we had for our staff going out this weekend to what we anticipated would be, you know, AU tournaments with the EYBL and Adidas and Under Armour Circuits and all those things. I had to kind of quickly do that. It just dawned on me. So, you know, we would be, we'd be traveling, going to see kids, and uh, April's always been fun for me, personally, because I love, you know, I love that part of it, just the recruiting and be on the road, seeing guys, guys that you've seen as juniors through the year, and in an AU setting, which is different. And you obviously discover new guys. Uh, Like you said, you'd be coming back doing workouts with your team, talking about things they need to improve on next year. So that part of it has been uh, totally, totally, kind of different from you know any other time. This this time of year that we would be in, and so we're trying to adjust and find different ways to still accomplish some of those things, being at home as opposed to to traveling across the country and and obviously being being in our office every day. I
1: mean, you talk about the Zoom thing. I'm curious on on a couple of levels. One, when you when you get an opportunity to talk to your current players, and I know you guys have a, I think you have a, a Zoom meeting every Monday as a team. And then uh, and then but I'm, I'm really fascinated with the recruiting part of it where, you know, it's difficult to replace just the eye to eye contact, the human interaction between you and a kid and you and the kid's parents and, and coaches and guardians or whatnot. Uh, how how difficult is it to sort of connect on on Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it is that, that you use as opposed to the way that you've always done it?
2: Yeah, you know it's it's again it's, it's all new and you know if if anything that I've learned and uh, just this last few weeks and and you know you kind of knew it but you see it in in real time going through you know COVID is that as coaches and recruiting we'll find ways to to adapt to make sure we're trying to stay ahead of the game and so in that respect. It's been pretty good, actually, uh, especially for the kids that you, you may have already had relationships with that you have started recruiting uh, in the 21 class, you know, specifically, uh, because now those conversations over the phone, even FaceTime, you know, it's a little bit different. But when you can do a Zoom, in our case, for example, it may be we're all uh, in separate locations with our entire staff, Coach Davis, uh, Wynn and Levi and myself. But through Zoom, we can all feel like we're all in that home with the kid because they can see us. You know, you can at least see your face. You can't physically touch them, but you can see them. And then we can, you know, it's even um, uh, a way to where you can, you know, show a screen to a kid. And and so if you want to go through a PowerPoint, uh, you could do that. Uh, the film is a little bit tricky. So we, we stayed away from, from that aspect of it uh, just because of the connection, Wi-Fi, you know, they kind of thought it'd be best. But we've had some of them where it's, you know, you show a presentation, some of them because of just they've been on campus maybe before you treat it more like a sitting on a dinner table. So you just may visit, you may talk. But again, you are seeing everybody. So the ones we've done it with, I think it's made an impression. Um, you know, you can kind of get a still get a personal touch to it. And the response has been really good. So we've we treated it like uh even though we're not out on the road in april doing in-home visits because this would be the time too as well in the 21 class you could always go to the school throughout this this past year and you could see them and you could talk to them but you couldn't go in their home april would be the first chance to do that so we, we tried to tell those guys hey this this is us coming to your home but not being able to get on a flight or get in the car and do it so i think a lot of them appreciated that and we've tried to be kind of ahead of the curve and i think it'll help us uh, as we do get back to normal, we move to for forward, forward, trying to sign you know 21 class, whether it be November or next April this time, next year.
1: You know, I talked to both uh, Domencio Vaughn and, and Robert Allen here in the last I don't know a few days. Both really impressive kids, mature kids. I know that talk, talking to you guys in the program, and it's not knocking the guys that that you had on the last year's team. There was just a frustration at times that, that you just there wasn't enough toughness, there wasn't maybe enough uh, maturity, there wasn't enough veteran stuff i mean you had brian but and 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 Devonte. but it was a pretty young team and 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 that kind of thing adding i know you're probably not done you can't comment about guys that haven't signed but those two guys have signed what do they what do they bring to uh to the program that that perhaps you didn't have last season
2: yeah i think you hit on a little bit you know number one they're older guys so they bring some experience you know we were really really young last year uh you know i thought our young guys got better throughout the season and they showed Glimpses and <clears throat> times during during the course of the season and games uh, where they played, you know, really well. And I think some of their just natural uh, progression as freshmen, you know, is expected. You know, you look at the group of floor; they signed two McDonald's All-Americans, Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis, and they had their lumps as freshmen. You, you see it in this league; the leagues are so good. Uh, but we, we we do add some some experience and and and, and toughness. And that was the one thing as as we went through the spring. And the beauty of spring is is interesting with basketball. You know, when you sign guys in November, you sign guys before you ever see your current team play. So what you perceive as needs uh, sometimes may not actually be that, or you may need something a little bit more once you're actually going through a season with with, with that current team. And April allows you to really, you know, be able to see that. So we felt like we did. We needed some toughness. uh, And and as we went through the process, the one thing that – just with uh, COVID and the current situation, it allowed us to do, especially with the grad transfer and transfers. Uh, the process is so quick with those guys. You know, when you get into that market and, as the season ends in late March or middle March and April, and teams are finishing seasons, guys get in the portal. There's such a rush to be the first to call, there's a rush to go see them, you know, get on a flight to go see them, rush to get into campus. And, 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 you know the the urgency was still there in terms of getting in there early and, and and being involved but there was time to be had to do actually more probably just you know conversations uh background so to speak and so with those two guys as we talked to them more and more we talked to people around them that word motor and toughness just kept being a reoccurring theme. uh it was something that kind of coach davis was was just just so high on in terms of not just their basketball talent we think both of them can really play at this level but they do provide that and those teams we had at middle and uh for years for coach davis always been known for just you know just that edge and toughness and uh and so we wanted to add some pieces to create that you know jock hill joiner uh be a guy next year, you know as as almost treat him like a recruit because he wasn't able to play. he's another guy that just adds to it, so you had the toughest experience with to those guys that will be able to play you know that in joque's case, his on the team eligible next year, two guys he will add uh with Robert and Domitcio to the young guys that'll be a year older and better uh and more suited and comfortable with our system. I think you know, it's going to give us a chance to to obviously have a better year you know going forward.
1: No, no one knows the answer to this yet. Kermit was saying just yesterday that he, it, it's sort of his anticipation, and I think it's—I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think it's yours, and and most coaches in the in the business that this transfer, the one-time transfer rule with no penalty, is going to pass at some point this summer. Is is, is it? I'm trying to think how to how to even ask this. It's a weird thing, right? Because you you, you go you you have to approach your season sort of with a two-pronged approach one if it passes and and a guy like Robert Allen is eligible immediately and two you have to also I guess think about okay what if it doesn't and he has to sit a year he would have three to play two obviously you guys would prefer that he go ahead and get started on those two but how's that sort of that that approach internally going forward not knowing you know precisely what that legislation whether that legislation will pass or not
2: yeah, it makes it difficult. It really does. I mean, you know, we 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 try to check and ask, you know, whether it's our compliance, whether it's you know administration, uh, and get a gauge. Um, and there's, you know, who you ask, you get a different answer from. Uh, yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. I was talking to a good friend of mine who's at Iowa State, assistant coach, and we were talking about it. And he said he just had a conversation with his AD yesterday, and he said for sure he thought it wasn't going to pass. You know, two days ago we asked, you know, people, uh, our people, and they said, uh, you know, they think it's a high chance that it will. So we're kind of in an unknown, and it obviously makes, you know, putting together a roster and planning for next season uh, a little bit more difficult um, in terms of knowing, you know, who may not may or may not be eligible in terms of guys that's in the portal and even in Robert's case, you know, who's already signed. So, you know, you're just trying to figure out, putting together a team, getting the best guys that fit, and, and, and you work through it. And uh, as the rules pass, you know, we'll adjust. And, you know, I think Coach mentioned it yesterday in a different deal. You know, you're always trying to recruit. And so that's that's kind of the mindset we've got with it. And you're always trying to improve your roster. So we'll continue to do that. And as, as we hear and we know for sure, it, it'll, it'll kind of dictate what we do, you know, going forward with, with our current team.
1: It really has changed the landscape a lot, just the, the transfer portal over the last – I mean you're a young coach and even in in your time in coaching it's changed uh pretty dramatically it's it's now I mean cr- feel free to tell me I'm an idiot it it seems like program building if you will is far more difficult now that it, you you almost have to focus on it's it's more on roster building it's more on team building it's it's there's going to be more um, volatility on a roster, even in a stable program, than it was. I don't know, maybe three, four, five years ago.
2: Yeah, it, it does. Uh, you know, that was the one thing that you know you'd always, you know, you 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 you'd. you'd you know, want to bet on and and, and put so much value in your player development, which you're always going to do. You know, and, and and you know, recruiting guys and say, hey, we got a group of guys we think thinking we're going to build with. Like I give you a perfect example, uh, just going back in our middle team, but that that group that beat Michigan State uh, as sophomores and then beat Minnesota and won 31 games as juniors. Uh, that group, it was it was seven. New guys on that team as freshmen that won 19 games and like 19 and 15. So it took some lumps, but they got better as the season went on, and that group all stayed together. And Giddy Pods, and Ed Simpson, and Jacob Ivory, uh, Xavier Habersham, and you added a couple guys to it as they got older. Well, now, I mean, that, that becomes really, really difficult, you know, at whatever level it may be, you know, uh, whether it's in the SEC or, you know, obviously at the, at the mid-major level and, 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 and below. And so now, uh, what also happens, you know, is. Is, is the patience <laughs> where it's thin, you know, yes. both on a fan base and a coaching staff because you feel that pressure. So you do you, – you got almost recruit, you know, year to year. It's becoming much more like an, an NBA uh, as far as just the way you put together a team. Can you add a, a high-profile, prof, high quote-unquote, free agent, you know, if you want to use that word to really go from – you know, one season being good and trying to either be better or sustain it. So it, it puts a lot of pressure on pr- pressure on you, as you mentioned, kind of to 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 uh, roster build and f- from the standpoint of every year you've got to kind of put together the best possible team you can have. And 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 I tell you what it does too. Just the young guys. I mean, you again, it just goes back to you know how patient can you be, and 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 so it's a lot of different factors that'll go into it um, as, as you move forward and the transfer rule that's going to come up is is going to really, really, you know, obviously change a lot of that as well. Because if you get into where it's one-time transfer exceptions, uh, then it, it increases all that. I think, stuff by, by you know, tenfold. So it's, it's interesting times, and it's changed so much. Just like you said, just year to year in the last three or five years, it's kind of just accelerated itself. You see the G League rule, that, or the G League. I was getting ready uh, to ask op- you about that, yeah. Oh, man, you know, again, you know, just another thing that, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, from a roster-building standpoint, from, from from the idea of just high school guys. So, you know, we, his coach, again, I, I quote him and, and, and reference him. He said it yesterday. I think I heard him say, well, you, you got to be able, to adapt yeah. and I think that's you know that's what we're constantly having to do as, as, as basketball coaches and in sports in general so we'll continue to do that and try to stay ahead of the curve and you know just try to put out you know the best team that we, we can and 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 like you said though that roster building is, is is something that's is changing in terms of your mindset uh you know <laughs> almost day to day
1: yeah the transfer rule you know the if, if you waive it and, and where a, a kid a guy can transfer um, you know one time without penalty. I think what you're going to see, I'm not even referencing, I'm just talking about the sport in general, not your not your program. I think you're going to see around the country coaches look around and go, oh, I had no idea he was going to be available. And then inside their own program, oh, I had no idea we had a problem. You know, yeah. that's yeah. going to happen both ways.
2: No question. And that's why I said, you know, so like, you know, we we, we constantly talk about it. Uh, you know with your team and, and you try to – and that's a difficult thing right now. You're passing a rule at a time when when – most teams or well, all teams uh, are, are not even together and so you know you, you would hope that there's a you know a chance to have conversations and, and 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 just the connection that you get from being together this time of year or through the summer uh, looks like when a roommate may be voted on so you can you know, have a, even a face-to-face conversation. You, you're always trying to recruit your own guys and and and, and you know retain, so to speak, uh, your group. But it makes it difficult, you know, especially if it's going to get passed, you know, in these circumstances. So yeah, we 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 you know we we're aware of that. You, you know, you again, you, you may have problems that you didn't know you had problems with, and, and some of it just may be an, an attractive option. And one thing that uh, you know, when you do have the maybe that possibility, where I got to sit out you know, you least, you know, like, man, it, it may be where I feel like I, I'm not playing as much as I want to or, man, I struggle some this, you know, this particular year or, you know, whatever those thoughts are, or if it's getting bad advice maybe, that just the fact that I'd rather not go sit somewhere, let me try to play through this. And I know there's pros and cons on both sides, and I understand that, you know, from a student-athlete perspective, but, you know, that's the thing that will be difficult, you know, with, with, with your team. Cause there'll be some. I'm sure it's going to be some teams and 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 coaches <laughs> around the country that <laughs> there'll be guys that'll pop up uh, if that rule passes that'll want to get in there and and you had no idea that that was even a thought process.
1: Yeah, the bad advice you just referenced that is going to be so prevalent, man. I mean, there are going to be guys that just get bad that get bad advice and it, they, they're they're going to have to make they're going to have to make decisions and you'll see guys make. In my opinion, you'll see guys make some really poor decisions, but that's you know that's kind of life. That's the way life yeah. works a little bit.
2: No question. Yeah. So You're right.
1: we, I, I, i never asked you this. I'm curious. I, the, the the whole G G League development thing is brings back up the one and done conversation, which has been bubbling at the surface now for a little while with uh, the the super elite prospects. What's your feeling on that?
2: I you know I, I think it's actually, you know, a positive thing or a good thing. Uh, there, there's a host of guys that are good enough to go from from high school uh, to pros. I mean, we've seen that before. You know, it's it's not a, sm- a huge number, I don't think. It's an elite number or a small number, as you just referenced. Uh, and in those cases, you know, I think just having to go to college, whether it's Zion Williamson, um, you know, he could have very easily have kind of you know, whether it be the NBA or this initiative that the G League is doing now. So I, I think what the NBA has done, smart on their part, you know, they said, hey, okay, instead of us having an R.J. Hampton um, or a uh, uh, ball, um, the mellow ball go to Australia or China, let's just give those guys an avenue to do what they're doing here in the States under our program, under our development. And if there's a host of kids that, that, that want to take advantage of it, you know I think it's a good thing you know I thought that was you know one of the things that was interesting just reading a little bit of it and trying to get some details on it is their that option of you know paying for their tuition so um, you know commend the g league and Sharif Abdul Rahim was ahead of that that whole deal and, and being kind of you know being ahead of it's like we talked about earlier they were <laughs> they were adapting and 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 not just yeah. Standing pat, you know, as they were, saw things were happening with just, you know, the high school guys. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be some guys, but I do think college basketball obviously will, you know, be fine. Um, it, it may change some of those very blue blood programs who are now, you know, would chase a Jalen Green or a, um, uh, you know, some guys that's in that. That current position, but uh, you know, again, I just think we just kind of really be, you know, you got to be real conscious of, of of you know. So now you got the NBA kind of recruiting. You're recruiting against the NBA too in some cases.
1: Yeah, you're right about the NBA. They're kind of they they've never been afraid to be sort of cutting edge to really evaluate what they do and and um, and and look forward and that kind of thing. And that's I think that's what's kind of happening with the G League. And I'm with you. I mean, look if, if if you're a guy like Green and and you 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 want to get paid right away that you'd rather do it in, in the States in all likelihood than have to go to Australia or New Zealand or whatnot. The, what will be interesting for some of those guys is, you know, you play in the G league, you're playing against men and you're playing against guys that are uh, pretty hungry to, to earn their keep. And, and uh, you can get, you can get exposed in the wrong way as well. You know, it's, it the NBA has always been sort of cutting edge with thinking mm-hmm. ahead and, 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 and being uh, pretty proactive. And, uh, you know, it, it, it Guys like Green who say, "Hey, I, I don't really want to go to college. I don't. I don't necessarily need to go to college right now. I want to go play professionally." It's a it's a twofold thing. One, the advantage of it is, like you said, they get to play in the states as opposed to having to go to Australia or New Zealand or whatnot. But the the, the interesting part is that for some of those guys, it's a gamble that can backfire because you go to the you go to the G League and, and the quality of play is better than people think it is, and you're playing older guys, you're playing uh, you're playing hungry guys who are. Uh, who are pretty what's the word I'm looking for they're 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 pretty determined to expose you and and get themselves some exposure, and so your your stock can fall in a in a in a pretty precipitous manner if you're not ready for that level
2: yeah you know and that's the interesting part you know that I think it's still to be determined kind of how they're going to go about actually doing it from some of the stuff I read and again i'm I i do not have privy to all the information, but it sounds like uh, just on based on some of the things that I saw, I'm still reading it. I'm, you know, everybody kind of is, is that they may not even actually play games against the G League teams. It may just be where they're training with a handful of guys and just doing more, uh, uh, just like I said, just skill development. Yeah. Uh, not like it's going to be in Southern California from what I was able to gather, and and so I think there's still some unknown about what they're actually going to be doing. A little bit this- kind
1: of like what Darius Basley did. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Just yeah, just under the umbrella, the, the G League and the NBA is going to beat over those guys um, specifically, and 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 go through that process with them as opposed to just letting them do it on his own. So, uh, if that's the case, then it, it, like I said, it really does change because you're right now. If you if you go in and play against some of those guys, <laughs> then it, it could you know it really really could. I mean, you can go from being a lottery pick to you know to not. So it, it'll be interesting how they go about. Um, what they do with those particular group of group of young men or high school guys that that decide to join that program, and what what occurs over the next year as they lead up to the draft next season.
1: Pre-COVID, I would be getting really excited today because tomorrow, I know everybody in Oxford is saying it would be college baseball and it would be the Grove Bowl and it would absolutely be those things, and I'm not minimizing them at all. But in my house, it would be day one of the NBA playoffs. Uh, my son would be going through the jersey collection uh, pretty pretty rapidly at this point. Uh, we'd be pretty jacked up. There is no NBA playoff this weekend. There is uh, the ESPN. Thank God, moved up uh, the Last Dance, the the Jordan documentary. How are you? Are
2: you excited for that? Really excited. Really excited. Matter of fact, uh, I told Coach and, and the rest of the staff, let's not uh, schedule any Zoom <laughs> visits on Sunday uh, 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 in, in, in celebration of being able to watch the last dance. So it's on my calendar for sure. Uh, it'll be able to kind of quench a little bit of that NBA uh, thirst that we all would love to have right now watching the first round of the playoffs. So uh, really, really, really kind of looking forward to that. You know, I was a Chicago Bulls fan during that time, like a lot of people were, obviously a Jordan fan. So it'll be great to, to see kind of the behind the scenes of that particular run. So Sunday I'll be tuned in for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited for my son to see it, you know, because he's 13, and so you know, when when the Kobe Bryant thing happened a couple months ago, feels like a 2020 has been a bad year, man. Um, oh, man. It, it, when when Kobe died, you know, we we talked a little about about that, and he remembered he remembered Kobe, but you know, I told him, I said, you you never really got to see great Kobe, you know, when Kobe, you saw yep. the you saw the end of Kobe when he was losing to the. You know Durant and Westbrook and the Thunder team and that kind of thing. I said you never saw Kobe when he carried Pau Gasol and Derek Fisher and those guys to, uh-huh. to back-to-back titles. I mean, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. And, and and then you know he kids can hear stories about how great Jordan was, but if you didn't see him, you don't. It'd be like for you and me. People can tell us, man, Hank Aaron was awesome. You're like, yeah, I, I get it, but I didn't get to see it. You know, and and so right, I'm I'm, I'm excited for young people to be able to see. Just Jordan's greatness, and not only his greatness, but his work ethic, his drive, his just relentlessness. I saw Ronnie, where he was quoted as saying, "People are going to watch this and think think I'm a bad guy." And it was just that switch that he hit when he got between the lines. When when the game was when when it was time to play, he just kind of became the Hulk. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, it, no doubt. I'm kind of excited to just let younger people see I'm excited to like you I'm excited to reminisce about it and see it and 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 all the storylines inside that with Pippen and Rodman and and Phil Jackson and his battles with the the front office and all of that stuff but just the greatness of 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 Michael Jordan it it's hard to describe to people because they they young people because they didn't get to live it and now they get to see it and it's it's like my son will ask me all the time who's better and and lebron or or uh jordan and it's so funny you know because i immediately go jordan yeah and 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 he goes and it's a fair question coming from a 13 year old how could he be better than lebron (laughs) you know because i mean when when that's i mean if you're 13 you've watched lebron dominate this league full of incredible players and that is a fair question how could he be better than lebron
2: Right. Yeah. No question. No, that I'm looking forward to it as well. I tell you it's gonna make some of those young people appreciate sh- you know, how much money they spend on their shoes that they wear that's got Jordan's <laughs> brand on it. because uh, 'cause they'll see his greatness. You're right. I mean it it it, it was it was Amazing to watch it because I was, you know, vividly remember it now, you know, just those runs he had and the games and just all those moments, you know, whether it was, you know, the palms up or, the, you know, the the fist, you know, even a little bit young, but, you know, obviously the shot against Craig Elo and the Cavs. Yeah. Just watching, you know, you watch it. You knew you was watching greatness. And so for them to be able to see behind, the scenes of that is going to be pretty cool you know and so like I said I'm I'm just eagerly uh waiting and and excited for it and uh I think it's going to be you know just based on the previews and obviously knowing Jordan and that that run it's going to be uh a great you know great watch have you watched Tiger King I have not that's (laughs) on our list you know we've we 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 watched a few things. Um, we watched Ozark, you know Ozark. Yeah. We crossed that one off, and we started on All American a little bit, and so we, we, we started that and uh, watched some of those. And we've got a to do list me and my wife. So you know once our teaching hours are over and it gets a little later in the evening, we get a chance to start watching. But it's only our to do list. I've heard it's really good. Have you seen
1: it? Yeah, we finished it. Uh, it's pretty bizarre. It made me feel like a much more normal person. Uh, I, sometimes I think, man, I'm kind of weird, and then I watch that, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not that weird. I'm pretty normal. Yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah 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 so it's on our to do list for sure it's 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 worth watching it's it's uh it's interesting it's it's yeah. that if nothing else well hey uh I, I really appreciate the time as always always fun to talk to you and um hope you and your family stay safe and and well and hopefully we're all back to uh, quote normal end quote sometime soon and guys are getting back on campus and where you can work with them and, and we we're looking forward to a season and all of those things
2: Yeah, we're excited about, you know, whenever that time comes to to, to get our group together and and start back on – uh the journey of 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 having a year we want to have and appreciate you you know we i told somebody this other day well, i've said a couple of times with some different clinics i've done you know we we've we gotten used to this word social distancing we've had to kind of stay apart but you know guys like yourself you kept kept us socially connected just through your podcast and so it was cool to see that and uh all you do for old miss athletics and old miss so uh, thanks again for having me and uh, look forward to being on again sometime soon thank you so much i appreciate the con words
0: Thanks to Ronnie for his time uh, this week on that their interview. We'll, uh, we'll jump back right back to the phone lines on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline, and we'll talk with Brett McMurphy again of uh, Stadium Network College Football Reporter. Brett McMurphy, now on the show.
1: Brett McMurphy joins us here on the podcast. Brett, first of all, thanks so much for the time. Hope you and yours are uh, safe and well.
3: Thanks. You too, Neil.
1: You I know you've uh, taken a beating from people. I've I've kind of had some similar takes to yours, some similar opinions to yours and I I I work on a much smaller scale than you do, so I I can imagine uh you you probably feel like a punching bag at times these days, right?
3: Actually, uh not really. <laughs> to be honest, I don't I don't look at a lot of responses on Twitter or social media. It's you know, you can uh no matter what you what you report it's 100% accurate. People are going to push back on it if it's about their schools, their teams, or they disagree with what you're you're reporting. So I really, uh, you know, just uh, the the, uh, mute button is the greatest invention ever on Twitter.
1: Yeah, one of these days I'm going to learn to use it better. Uh, It's it's a New Year's resolution that I make every year. I've got to start taking it more seriously. all right, let's let's start here, and, and I always do this because uh, these things, these stories, change over the course of days. Uh, sometimes we're taping this on April the the sixteenth. It's about nine thirty central time in the morning. As of today, and I know you've talked to a lot of people. You've done incredible work talking to a lot of different people around uh, college athletics. As of today, w- how would you? Um, I guess what would you what would you forecast in terms of the college football season when and and if it might begin?
3: Um, again, I look. I've talked to you know, reached out to all all 130 ads in the past couple of weeks for a number of topics involving college football, and 112 of those 130 responded. Um, they don't know anything more than you or I do as far as the ultimate, and that is when we get the all clear, when can things return to normal. Now, they're making plans on what they can do as far as having a college football season based on when we get that all clear. But just strictly my opinion, and again, no one knows, but my opinion, I I just don't think the university presidents at these major universities are going to allow students to come back and take classes in the fall. I think it's going to be hard for them to um, basically not want to assume the risk of bringing tens of thousands, you know, twenty thousand, thirty, forty thousand, whatever the numbers are at whatever school you want to pick, from all over the world, to come back onto their campus and say, hey, it's safe to be in large groups again, come back to campus, it's fine. And because of that, if there's a, aren't students on campus, there's no student athletes, and then there's no college football for the fall only. I think if we can get an all clear sometime late in 2020, you know, there are plans to, if that's when we get the all clear, then we'll play in the spring. And I know that's crazy. And I know there's a million reasons why that's gonna be a challenge. But the alternative of no football would be catastrophic to a lot of athletic departments not only the group of five level but also at the power five level you know some would be able to um, survive that kind of financial hit better than others a lot of those that would survive better than others are in the SEC but um, you know look the alternative of no football compared to playing football that starts in October November or even starts in February they're going to play when they can and then deal with these other consequences uh, the best they can. And, you know, you you asked me, you know, a great question, and I answer your question. And then I have 10 more questions for myself. So just, just imagine what these ADs and these commissioners are trying to plan this out on. If we start on X date, how are we going to deal with this? APR, scholarship limits. I mean, you, you, my God, we could talk for four or five hours yeah. on every little every little bit of that
1: yeah because every little thing creates like you just said every every aspect of this creates 10 15 individual questions which create individual questions of their own and you know i I got a question yesterday when i first saw it i kind of laughed at it and i was like well it's actually not a not a terrible question if you know it was like what what happens if the season doesn't begin until you know let's say january when they can report and the, the game start in late february or whatnot and the question was, what happens to elite players? Do elite players say, no, I'm not going to play that late. I'm, I'm going to spend that time getting ready for the draft. And my very first question to that was, I said, well, that's a good question. And then I thought, well, the only problem is to answer that question, you have to say, did the NFL play or not? And, and unlike the college game, and feel free to tell me I'm an idiot, Brett, uh, I don't think the college game can be played closed to fans I I, in my opinion if you take college players and you say it's not safe for your friends and family to come watch you play and it's not safe for the student bodies that you represent to watch you play then it's not safe for you Lane Kiffin made a really good point the other day on a Knoxville radio station he said if it's not at that point if it's not safe for crowds Look at a college football sideline. It's it's 200 250 people. It's not safe on that sideline. Forget the contact and stuff. I don't think I don't think that happens. The NFL is a professional league. there's a players union that that negotiates. They they have a little different level of control. I guess it's conceivable. You, know, you see the NBA talking about it, Major League Baseball talking about it about quarantining the players and 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 con- almost creating this this bubble, that's a bubble that I don't think college athletics is going to be able to create.
3: Yeah, well, as far as if you play in February, January or February, um, whoever asked you that question, they're absolutely right. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I don't play. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. There's going to be a large number of high-level, projected NFL draft picks that sit out the season because when they look at their schedule and they say, oh in week nine we're playing at NC State that's the same week as the NFL draft yeah they're probably not gonna play but you know what it's better than the alternative and that's no football so Mm -hmm. others will play Um, and the thing with the no crowds, certainly you know AD's have told me look we can play with no crowds if we have to as a last gasp option but kinda I guess I'm similar to Lane's way of thinking if we can't have crowds in the stands then we can't have students on campus So I think those go together. If we can have students on campus, we can have crowds in the stands. So I don't think that's going to end up being an option. But if it is, again, as a last resort, um, I think they would do that. And you're right. The NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they don't have to have 20,000 people on campus to play their games. They can put entire teams and organizations into one city or one community and, and play their games out because, you know, those players are getting paid to do that. It's their job. Yeah, I know but we can go down the rabbit hole of whether college stu- student athletes need to be compensated. I understand that. But yeah, that's why I think we will see an NFL season. Of some way because it just the money is just so crazy and all these owners and players are going to find out a way to do it if it's being tested daily quarantined, whatever it is you simply can't do that because of the large numbers involved with college athletics.
1: I know the president at the University of South Carolina said earlier this week. It might have been yesterday. It might have been the day before. The days run together at some point. Uh, he said that you know that he wants to make an announcement about their. Uh, their plans for the fall semester as, as early as May 15th, but no later than June 15th from a timing standpoint. And I'm sure you get this pushback a little. I know I hear it a lot. Like why are these decisions being made now? Why not wait? Uh, so I'll kind of give you a twofold question. When do you sort of anticipate these decisions being made and, and how long can, can university chancellors and presidents and th- that type thing wait to make these announcements?
3: Well, that's kind of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of interviews I do, I get asked, um, you know, what's the, what's the drop dead date we need to look for if we get past that date? Does that mean there's no clouds football in the fall? I don't think there is a specific date, but certainly when we get towards the end of May, the first of June, I think we'll have a better idea. And I think it's from what the South Carolina president discussed. I think when you start to see these these universities announce around that time or maybe maybe push it towards the end of June and they come out and say hey we are not having um, classes on campus this fall or yes we are or we're doing it online only when you see a number of these universities make these announcements then we'll get a pretty good read on if we're gonna have a college football season in the fall I've also 80s have also said to me there could be a possibility that the the academic year gets pushed back. Um, you know, maybe instead of starting at, at the end of August, first of September, maybe um, it can get started in sometime in October or even November. So you would actually move the entire academic calendar. Now, I don't know if, if universities on a whole are willing to do that to, you know, keep college athletics afloat if you will but that is another possibility but um you know it's i think you can't i I know it sounds easy and and a lot and it's a great question why why can't schools just decide a couple weeks before hey we're we're going to have our classes on campus or not well obviously there's a number of factors as far as um you know professors and different things and also you know for a lot of schools people fly, have to fly to get to their school. A lot of them aren't within driving distance. So you've got to make those sort of plans. You've, certainly, they want to take as long as they can. But, um, you know, I really think towards towards the end of May um, or June, again, it maybe that changes because we – there are some developments as far as vaccines or safety or gathering in groups or those sort of things. But up to this point, everything I've seen doesn't seem like we're not gonna have a resolution that quickly. Um, and so it's, it's a, I again, I think we won't play in the fall. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I think we should know, you know, sometime around the end of May, 1st of June, get a good idea if and when the football season would begin.
1: How does this change? I know you, you don't know the answer, just kind of giving your opinion here. How does this change the landscape of intercollegiate athletics? Assuming that there's a season in the spring, it, 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 just how different does this look in in a, in a couple of years? I mean, obviously, a lot of these universities are going to have to sit back and evaluate. In my opinion, at least, how much money has been invested into football? How much money has been invested into into facilities and that type of thing? And then to see just how terrified everyone is right now I've seen the the quotes from in stories from you and from Ross Dellinger and Andy Staples and some of the other really outstanding uh college football writers out there where the ADs are like if there's no football season we're effed how did they get to this place where there's there's absolutely zero room for for a catastrophe
3: well first off I think you know it's it's going to be it's going to be bad it's just how bad it's going to be i mean you know just this earlier this week cincinnati dropped its men's soccer program and that that has nothing to do with if there's a football season or not that has to do with lost revenue from the ncaa basketball tournament so if you don't have football um, you could see other schools dropping olympic sports you could have group of five schools just Flat out dropping football, which would be very unfortunate. Um, You could have Power Five schools eliminating some Olympic sports. You've already seen a number of of Power Five and Group Five schools announce that their coaching staffs and presidents and athletic directors were taking pay cuts. You know, is that just will those salaries return to what they were, or is it are they just going to be a lower amount? Um, That's some of the things we're going to have to figure out. Uh, you know, it's just, um, it's, no one's not going to be impacted by this. It's just how much people are going to be impacted by this. And again, that's why as crazy as it sounds of starting a season in October, November, or playing it in the spring, that's kind of what they've got to try to do to try to Try to get in some amount of this revenue because if the school's making 80, 90 million whatever the number is, and in, in revenue from the college football program, and the AD walks in the president's office and says, "Hey, look, we're only going to make forty percent of that, fifty percent of that," and how can we cut cost? Well, it may be eliminating sports. And and you asked about how we get how we got to this situation. I mean, look, no one's really to blame for this. Certainly. You know, look, there's a lot of highly paid coaches. I know you're you're based in the Southeast. Nick Saban makes a ton of money. I would argue he's underpaid. The amount of money he's yeah. brought to that university, I think he should make three times what he makes. But with that being said, there's not a CFO on the face of the earth that five or ten years ago when laying out a five or ten year budget would have said you know what we need to set aside 50 or 60 million because we're not going to have a football season because of a disease in 2020 right so everybody you look you can take a 10 percent dip on ticket sales or you're paying buyouts or whatever the number is that that stuff fluctuates you can keep that in a reasonable amount but nobody ever would have Dream that you would go from, you know, 80, 90, 100% of of your football revenue down to potentially 10% or 25%. And so that's why this is going to be so, so hard on a lot of schools. I mean, like a lot of people, you know, around the world are finding out now that have had steady jobs have been in you know every two weeks they know they're going to get this paycheck and they plan on that and that's why they buy things and do all these different things and then all of a sudden they're laid off their their jobs are you know ended their 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 company's out of goes out of business whatever it is and then it's like oh my god I never expected I would not be making something and so you know sh- should football programs have waterfalls in their you know When you walk in the lobby, you know, that's a great question. But, you know, no one could have ever envisioned that they would go from what they were making to potentially not making anything at all if there isn't a season.
1: Last couple of minutes with you, Brett. Um,
3: This has to be uh, I
1: guess it's. it's it has to be unilateral, right? I mean, all these schools sort of have to decide a start date at the same time. And if they can't, is it is it conceivable at all that this is the impetus to the Power Five sort of breaking away and forming their own super conference, if you will?
3: Yeah, and you kind of asked that earlier. I, I forgot to answer that. But yeah, I think what happens because of all this is this this accelerates this division between the power five and the group of five. I mean, the gap was widening every single day before the virus, and now it's even it grows even f- um, wider apart. So yeah, I th- I think that happens at some point. How, what that morphs into, I don't know. Is it another division? Is it um, do the group of fives drop to the FCS? Did the FCS move move up to the group of five and then there's the split from the the power five I don't know but you know the one thing is a key element in this is the revenue from the college football playoff you cannot have a college football playoff if only three of the five power five conferences are playing so the conference commit the power five conference commissioners are on a daily conference call every morning and they're discussing I'm sure everything you can think of, everything we've talked about, and a million other things. So certainly, whenever we get to a point where we get the all clear, we have an idea when we can get the all clear, then as a group, and Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, has said this as much, the, the Power 5 conference commissioners will then all come out together and say, okay, we, the, we, the Power 5, are going to play... A twelve-game schedule starting in February, or we are going to play a conference-only schedule starting in October, or whatever it is. And so, those all of those conferences will be playing by the same rules, if you will. And then I, I'm sure the group of five will then do whatever the Power Five does. But um, you know, one possibility, I, I think. Of all the different options, they'd rather not do this. But again, if it's the only thing they can do, certainly they'll do it. Is a conference only format. Well, that gets tricky because you've got three leagues that play nine games, and two, the SEC and ACC only play eight. Yeah. So you would have to have the schools all play the same number of games. I think it would make, if I was, you know, commissioner for a day, I would argue that everyone should play nine. It would be easier to get everyone to play nine. You get the SEC simply to add another conference game for this coming year so they're at nine so now you've got everybody but the ACC at nine and like it or not you gotta you gotta Notre Dame has to be included so you have Notre Dame play nine ACC schools and then you have the remaining five ACC schools whoever those are play in the the remaining independents play one game against an independent so then everybody's playing nine quote conference games at least you're playing the same number of games and then you can go forward with conference championships if you want or and then certainly a college football playoff but you know neil whatever's going to happen the, the power five will come out together as a group and decide this is how we're going to do it i don't think you're going to see the sec come out and say hey we're going to play a 12 game set schedule and then the big 10 going to come out and say we're only going to play a nine game conference schedule they will come to some sort of agreement maybe this you know i don't everyone says well we need a commissioner for college football maybe this kind of forces them to, to appoint somebody to that position. But again, ultimately, I don't know if we'll ever have one of those because it's basically, you're basically putting somebody, you know, that's above Each of the conference commissioners, and I don't think the conference commissioners want that, nor should they, because, number one, they want to do what's best for their individual conference. But in this unique circumstance, they will all work together to come up with a plan that will work to to get this season in somehow, some way.
1: Brett, thanks so much for the time. I know you're really busy. I appreciate it. Enjoy your work and hope to visit with you sometime soon.
3: Thanks, Neil.
0: Anytime. Bye-bye. Thanks to Brett for joining us on the podcast today. One more interview for you, and uh, it's a good one as well. So round out the show, we'll now go to Michael Benson, again, historian, former college president, most recently at Eastern Kentucky. And Now he talks to Neil here on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline.
1: Dr. Michael Benson, kind enough to join us. Uh, It's been fun getting to know you over the last several months, and uh, this is something I've I've figured one day I'd get you on the podcast. I didn't know what the topic would be, but – here we are. It's the topic that everyone talks about. and, and um, So, first of all, just thanks for joining us. Thanks for spending some time.
4: Well, it's my pleasure, Neil. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I listen to you and Paul Feinbaum, and uh, I've noticed that he has this John Wiefeld on, the former president at Kansas State. So, it's good you're talking to former presidents because we can opine about things and not worry about uh, our current positions.
1: Well, you, you joke, but there, there's a lot of truth to that. and I, I, I'm going to start here. You've uh you've been a college president there at Eastern Kentucky at uh at Southern Utah I think it's Snow College so you've you've done this you've been in that seat probably won't be real hard for you to close your eyes and and picture yourself back in that in that chair and putting that cap on if you will take me through I I guess I'm I'm going to make you a college president again take me through the process that you would be going through right now here in the middle of April as you begin to evaluate what the environment will look like in August as it pertains to opening up the you know the brick and mortar portion of campus the on campus in person instruction that everyone you know before this pretty much took for granted
4: well, I started as a president in two thousand one late two thousand one two thousand and two, so that was right on the heels of nine eleven and uh, we went through a Obviously, a very traumatic kind of collective national experience uh, trying to deal with that. But still, I mean, people came back to campus, and you had the sense of community that one felt, particularly right in in the wake of those events. And then, you know, we had the economic turn in 2007, 2008. I was at Southern Utah at the time. And then we've had challenges here in Kentucky since I got here in 2013. But this is unlike anything, Neil, that uh, I think anybody has faced. And I've I've paid attention to the schools, the universities that are somewhat ahead of the curve, uh, are the ones that have put classes, courses, invested in the infrastructure of online learning for, for quite some time, you know, it's not a new phenomenon and, and Clayton Christensen who was our commencement speaker a few years back at Southern Utah he just died uh, just a few months ago but the Harvard uh, business professor of course coined the phrase disruptive technology, kind of warned against this or warned about it, uh, portended that uh, in higher education there were going to be some things that were disruptive. Of course, he didn't divine the future when he said that decades ago and certainly didn't see today, but this is unlike anything that uh, higher ed or our world's really faced other than if you go back 100 years, of course, to the Spanish flu. Um, But it's going to force everybody to I think really evaluate their model. Does that model work? Uh what expenses do they have that they can maybe uh kind of drill down on? Uh and can they put even more resources into this uh this distance education? What it really I think brings into focus though, Neil, is the the extreme value of a bricks and mortar campus experience, and I know not everybody can have it, and I'm speaking somewhat from a position of having had the wonderful opportunity in my life to go to some really fine schools and be there in person. There's nothing like being in a classroom, so you can't replicate that with Zoom. You can't replicate it with, with uh, FaceTime. And so I I know your daughter, my own kids that are in college, just kind of are craving that in class with their friends, with their colleagues uh, in the residence hall, in the dining hall in the rec center, those kinds of experiences that you just can 't have uh, online well, um, and, I it, a, and i think there's
1: and i think there 's a connection with with the professor and the student that is an in person oh yeah. that 's an in person thing that i don 't think can be replicated. Uh, you mentioned my daughter Campbell as, as a freshman at, at arkansas she 's taking you know, uh, an accounting class, a microeconomics class, and the economics class is one that was really in, is is really interesting to her, and she misses that interaction with the professor. And talks about how it's different online because you know there's all the there's, there's all the kids in the little Zoom boxes, and it's just a different thing than when you can make eye to eye contact with someone and and have a a different level of conversation, and you know where you have uh, office hours and 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 that kind of thing where there can just be a conversation that goes beyond you know, even just the, the, the course, the coursework, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it, it's, it's the, it, I think it's something that it, it's a point that, you know, people are talking a lot about what happens with, uh, online instruction going forward. And maybe we found a way to do that, but the problem with it, and, and, and in many ways it's, it's a blessing to have it, but it's also, I, I don't think there's a way that, uh, that online instruction can completely replace the, the college experience.
4: Well, you're exactly right, and I'm glad you brought up professors because the the phrase, the sage on the stage, and kind of the British model where you had the the professor walk in in his robe, I say he because they were all males back several centuries ago, uh, in his robe and stand up on the stage and give a lecture, and students just sat there and took it in. It's a very different sort of environment, and I know we've had professors in our own experiences that have run the spectrum from very effective to not so effective to incredibly effective. But, you know, Thomas Friedman wrote his latest book, came out a couple years ago, and he talked about this study that had shown five years removed from an undergraduate experience. It didn't matter where you went. It didn't matter if you'd gone to a state school, a private liberal arts, uh, you know, an Ivy League school. The primary determinant of how well you were doing in your profession was during your undergraduate years did you have a faculty mentor someone that took a keen interest in what you were doing and kind of help you shepherd along that that process and the other one was uh, did you have an internship or a study abroad or some other uh, activity that got you involved in campus uh, both on campus and off campus and those were the determinants but he he really honed in on the, the faculty and you do not, you cannot replicate that online. I'm taking a class right now through Johns Hopkins and as much as I enjoy our discussion boards and the give and take with that, there's nothing like the magic that can happen inside a classroom with a really effective teacher, with receptive students, and that that peer that uh, the teacher to peer uh, or teacher to student uh, relationship that can develop.
1: Yeah, and I know this has happened with your children. Uh, it's happened with mine. the 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 friendships they make with their with their peers, um, whether it's in you know, Greek life, or whether it is uh, just in classrooms, or whether it's just off campus. You mentioned rec centers. You find a workout partner. You a, a spin class you like. There's there's a, all all sorts of ways that that young people connect and and uh, get to know one another. And they come from different places and different backgrounds and different political beliefs and different religious beliefs and all of those things. But they get to, it's, it. There's a there's a, a a building of life skills that happens through those interactions that uh that can't be taught online and uh, you know there's and to, you can't expect the university whether it's Harvard or or uh, as I like to call it Harvard on the Bayou ULM uh, you can't expect those <laughs> those kinds of schools to they, they they that they can't provide that and and those are the things that that happen uh kind of organically and when you take young people out of that environment i think that is as much of what they crave as anything
4: yeah yeah now, I I often say that as much learning goes on outside the classroom as goes inside of it and the interactions you're talking about with somebody who comes from a completely different background and has a different orientation, a different world view. Uh, think about how much you, you, you've you learned through your life in in, in uh, making friendships with, with individuals like that and how the current generation in many ways is being deprived of that at the moment when they need it the most. Um, at that most formative years when they're in college, uh, I think of my own kids, um, you know, they're doing their best. They're soldiering on, but uh, they're they're resilient. But like you and I were talking about offline, we'll adults will get on from this. I mean, we'll, we'll move on. We'll be okay. I do worry about the, the ones that are in those really impressionable years. The college is such a touchstone in so many different ways, and the only way you can provide those experiences really is with the bricks and mortar, that on-campus experience.
1: Okay, so I'm not going to let you off the hook here because I'm i going to go right back to my question. And I'm going I'm to do this to protect me and you. I've learned in this uh, pandemic to always give the time uh, and the date when when the conversation is happening on a podcast because someone might not hear this until a day or two later. Uh, I'm asking this question again at, at uh, 1.50 central time on April the 16th. So if the world has completely changed by April the 18th, forgive both Michael and myself here. But what would what would you have to see as a university chancellor slash pr- president? What would you have to see to start saying, okay, I think we we might be able to open open our dorms back up, open our classrooms back up, open our rec center back up, open those student services, bring the people back that that work in the cafeterias, bring the people back that that uh that are custodial people uh what has to happen for you to start saying okay we can start making those plans now at university x
4: well the first thing i'll say is no decisions ever made in a vacuum so uh, during my tenure as president three different places i was surrounded by really good people i had uh, boards uh, to whom i reported um I had various constituent groups that certainly kept an eye on what we were doing. So we tried our best to take the perspectives, the viewpoints from as many informed people as possible, Um, but also kind of paying attention to what was happening around us. What are other schools doing? Um, I think everybody kind of laughed at the Ivy League when they were the first to shut down their tournament. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. You would know better than I. But uh, the SEC tournament was still going on. Yep. Um, and everybody said, "Oh well, you know, they don't know what they're doing, and we can play these games in empty arenas." And then the Rudy Boger, Gober things happens, and with the Utah Jazz, and and it just starts to snowball after that. So, fortunately, when you're in this position, or I've been in this position of, of having to make decisions on behalf of an organization, uh, you're not by yourself. If you're not alone, you can rely on people to give you good advice, but also you can pay attention to what your peer institutions are doing, uh, what's happening in the country. I would certainly rely on, first and foremost, uh, the medical experts. Now, some have said, well, they've been wrong and, and the models are off, still in all, I would rather err on the side of having maybe gone a little too extreme with some of the, the lockdown measures and not having done enough. Uh, you look at what happened, I think, in North Dakota, where they didn't have a, a shelter in place. And now it's become more of the focus of uh, some of the spread of, of COVID-19, and I certainly hope things will improve for them. So you, I think you'd rather, in when it comes to the health and safety and well-being of your students, the faculty, the staff, the, the like you said, the frontline people who day in and day out are the ones that are in many ways the tip of the spear with your students and helping them through their experience, you have to ensure that they will be safe. And there are so many unknowns right now. Uh, Neil, to to your point at at this time on the sixteenth of April, um, I think you have to give it another couple weeks before you can start speculating that uh, yeah we'll be open on August the first or we'll, we'll allow student athletes to come back. There is absolutely no way I believe you can play football in empty stadiums and think that that's safe for student athletes when you're preventing fans from filling up a 75,000-seat stadium. So there are all sorts of mitigating factors in all this, but first and foremost, I think you have to keep at uh, top of mind the safety, the well-being of, of all your constituent groups.
1: You know, it's been one of the most interesting things, and I, I'm not going to name names because there's some sports writers out there that are uh, far more talented than I am. They have made it far, uh, f- much farther than I have who – just completely disagree with me and you. Now that I've heard your opinion on it about playing college athletic events that are not open to the public, uh, to me it's a non-starter. I, I I don't. And and people say, well, you know, you're talking about optics, and I'm and I I mean, I'm talking about optics, but I think it goes beyond optics. I think there's I think there's, there's ethically saying it's not safe for this this stadium, this arena, this gym, whatever is not safe for the parents, family, for the players, uh, parents, family, friends, and it's not safe for the student bodies that they represent, but it's safe for them. And not only that, they're going to be, in most sports, there's going to be physical contact, uh, there's going to be sweat droplets in the air, saliva, saliva. You know stuff that when you play sports, sports can be kind of dirty, and uh, sports can be kind of germy, for lack of a better word. And and if it's (laughs) if it's safe for the players to exchange those germs, then it's safe for people to watch. And if it's not safe for people to watch, then it's it's not safe for the people to play. And when you're talking about you know uh, NCAA athletics, whether it's the, the SEC level or whether it's the you know the FCS level, it it you have to be you have to be mindful first and foremost about the, the safety of the student athletes that are playing. And to, to me, it, it, this is the part of the conversation that's mind-boggling. And, I, and, and no one wants or and, – and frankly, there's a difference between want and need, right, Michael? I mean, I, 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 you know everybody wants there to be a football season. I need there to be a football season. I mean, but, but, I, but I understand that if, if it's not safe for fans, then it's not safe for the players either.
4: Yeah, no. Once and that's a good way to categorize it because I think you're spot on. And uh, it, it, until there's a vaccine, or until some of these antibody testing uh, procedures that they're going through are are validated, and they say this is this is it, this is safe, this is going to prevent you from uh, or help you uh, not get COVID nineteen or help, uh, stop the spread of it, until those things are in place, I don't, uh like you said, it's a non-starter. I don't think you even can have a conversation about uh, what's safe for student athletes because, believe me, the bottom of the pile in football, they're not concerned about uh, all the things that we're concerned about now in terms of sanitizing and not touching this or not touching that. And as much as I love baseball and I miss it, uh, this idea of sending all 30 teams to Arizona and having them stay in big hotels and stay away from each other, I I think they're all pipe dreams. And I'm going to leave it to the medical professionals to kind of give us the direction and the the go-ahead and the green light.
1: We talked about how this changes the the face of not maybe the future of academia. There are people out there obviously who uh look at the cost the rising cost of of higher education, which is a, a topic probably for another day but for right now it's it's there it's expensive to send your your kids to school it's expensive uh, student loans and all of those things now that uh we have seen what it is like what on every everyone. It's not just the University of Phoenix anymore. Everyone's online. Do you anticipate that when this is over that there will be a mass return to the way the pre-COVID higher education model? Or do you think this changes the way that higher education goes from here forward?
4: Well, I don't think you can ever go back to uh, the way it was before. Um, this is too much of a it's kind of transformative event for for ill and for good. Uh, I always like to take some good from an experience like this, and you know what can you do as an institution to be better, to be uh, more effective, both in your in delivery, in-person delivery systems, but also online. And again, it, it kind of circles back to our previous conversation, Neil. There's certain things you just can't um, substitute. You can't try and replicate it. Uh, with um, you look at state investment. You know, take the state of Mississippi or take the state of Kentucky. How much the states have invested in the just the capital outlay uh, for a campus uh, to build it up. You now, some of it's been private dollars, but a lot of it's been bonded indebtedness that the state has been willing to take on. And why is that? They want to provide an opportunity for as many people as possible to have access to the one thing that can change your life more than anything else and that is education. And I looked at my own life. My grandfather was the oldest of 11 children from a small farming community in southeastern Idaho. He went 30 miles down the road at the age of 17 and went to a land-grant school. From there, went to Iowa State, uh, became a cabinet secretary from all of that, a town of 50 people, Whitney, Idaho, thanks to the education he got at Utah State and at Iowa State. And that is not a unique story. I mean, you could stop... 20 people on the street, and ask them about how uh, their lives had been uh, materially transformed and impacted in, a, in an incredibly positive way by, uh, by education. So I hope against hope that we can go back to some of that normalcy that we had pre-March uh, kind of March 2020. But campuses will be different. And I think we're going to have to step back and say, is it really that important to take on this much debt for a project that maybe we don't need? Um, I'm I'm all for paying people what they're worth, but let's be honest, Neil. Coaches' salaries in this day and age are absolutely outrageous. And um, at my last NCAA meeting, I attended the at the convention back in January, uh, the lines have finally crossed as to what campuses spend on coaches salaries, as opposed to scholarships for student-athletes. And once that line is crossed, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, but it may take an event like we're experiencing right now for campuses to step back and say, look, we love, this, we love all the pageantry of, of, of fall afternoon in Oxford, Mississippi, or T- Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or Richmond, Kentucky, but can we afford to do this? And is this what's really important uh, in terms of spending this much money on facilities and on programs, on coaches' salaries? Now, look, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, but uh, I think this has all forced us to maybe hit pause a little bit and say what is really important to us. And uh, it's that time with uh, with, uh, with our families. It's our health. It's our neighbor's well-being. And uh, it's, it's not too bad to have a recalibration and maybe a reorientation as to what's really important.
1: Oh, there's absolutely no question. There's zero question that at the end of this, there is going to be a uh, a soul searching uh, a, among athletics directors, presidents, uh, as you mentioned, boards, the people that, that have to look at, at uh, the bottom line, they have to look at the balance sheet. There are, there are people that are going to say, you know, is it really necessary that we have a water fountain in the, uh, in the, a, a waterfall, I should say, in the, in the, entrance to the football building? Is it really necessary that we have 30 analysts inside a football program? Is, is how necessary is some of the things that we are doing? I mean, you know, uh, Kermit Davis, the basketball coach at Ole Miss today, was on a Zoom call with the media who cover him, and he, he was kind of making the joke. But in many ways, he was, he was pointing something out. He said, we've been able to do the recruiting uh, of, of student athletes and, and, and stuff uh, online. You know, with Zoom, with virtual virtual tours and, and all of those things, and not go out on the road. And he was talking about how, you know, it, it's it, think of how much money has been saved. And I thought, and this is probably going to be the way it's going to be moving forward. Not completely, but, you know, the day will come when obviously you, you've got to go make an, an official visit to a kid and you need to meet his family. You need to, to see his the way uh, he or she lives to to make that connection but a lot of the build-up to that can be done you know virtually and online and money can be saved and these these schools that have these massive athletics budgets are going to have to say hey we we are going to have to tighten the belt a little bit we are going to have to change the way that we do what we do and 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 i do believe that at the end of this the next wave if you will of coaches salaries i do think there's going to be a, a, a regression back to uh to a more acceptable number it's it's uh, and i'm not saying that you know a nick saban is underpaid or overpaid or or you know any of that i'm just i'm just saying i think moving forward people are going to very likely look at this differently
2: yep
4: yep yeah it's not just our industry uh i say our, our industry higher education i think it, it really applies to everybody but uh you got to be
1: got to be careful here because i have a brother who works for the hartford who normally travels i don't know 30 30 30 weeks a year he uh he said he's pushed back on me a couple of times when i've said this out loud he's like i need my road trips so i i got to be got to be careful here <laughs> but, but
4: yeah, no, I get it. I get it. But uh, uh, you know, to your point, it's gonna it, it's forced all of us to say, hey, what is really important? And uh, I, I've used this example before. In in education, you have the panacea for every single one of the world's ills. Um, I've gone to all these committee hearings, various legislative uh, sessions, and heard all these testimonies from people at various agencies that have really pressing social and societal problems. And guess what? The one thing that can fix it is education. And can you provide as much education to as many citizens as affordably as possible? And I think at day's end, you Neil, know, that's what uh, that's what universities are about. And uh, you well, know, you look at one of the founding members of the, of the Big Ten, University of Chicago. They did band of football. I'm not suggesting that at all for any school. You've got to take a hard look at uh, uh, at your programs and can you afford to do them? But you know, Cincinnati a couple of days ago uh, cut men's soccer. We had to cut men's and women's tennis here on our campus a few years ago. And can you afford to be everything to everybody? I don't think um, I think I don't think you can. So there will be some hard discussions, some very decisions that have to be made. But it takes a pandemic like this, in many ways, to force us into that position to have to do it.
1: Last couple of things. How's your book coming
4: along? You've certainly had more
1: time to work on it.
4: Well, without the distraction of a lot of other things, I come in here and I hunker down, and uh, just by way of information uh, or introduction, it's a a biography of Daniel Coit Gilman, who uh, was the first president of Johns Hopkins. He had been um, at the Sheffield Scientific School at Yale and then was the president of the University of California out in Berkeley for a couple of years before he was recruited to uh, Johns Hopkins. And just for your listeners, uh, the one-minute version of it, Johns Hopkins, and his name, Johns, is a little unusual, but that's from his great-grandmother. That was her maiden name. Um, He was an abolitionist bachelor who made a fortune in uh, the whiskey trade, even though he was a Quaker, and in Murkow goods, and uh, didn't have any heirs to speak of. He had some family that he took care of. But when he wrote up his will in in early 1870, 1871, he left $7 million dollars. $3.5 $3.5 million for a hospital and $3.5 million for a university. And at the time, it was the biggest donation in the history of, of American higher education. And from that, uh, you've now grown into an enterprise of Hopkins today is worth about $11 or $12 billion or 12000000000 dollars uh, you turn on the news reports and who who has aggregated all the data regular uh, relative to covid nineteen it's all stuff that's been put together by uh, by folks at uh, at johns hopkins so um, when in terms of their sponsor research just to give you perspective the last year that the, the numbers were available they did two point five six billion in what they spent on uh, research and development on the Hopkins campus and uh, the closest to the them. Number two is Michigan, just over a billion. So I give you a perspective of what has come out of this investment uh, in creating a, the modern research university in Baltimore uh, with this donation that uh, really changed the world in so many ways. And it's been fun to study his life and, and come to appreciate uh, really the foresight uh, and the vision these people had at uh, lot latter part of the 19th century.
1: When is the publishing goal?
4: publishing goal, I may have it done by the end of the summer. So it probably will come out sometime next uh, year. It's with Johns Hopkins, uh, which, by the way, he was the founder of that press too in 1878, the first uh, university press. And you know his famous quote is the one of the most noble one of the most noble duties of a university is to disseminate knowledge far and wide, not just for people that are in the classroom. So um, you, you look at your own life, Neil, and and every day how it's impacted by something that was developed at a research university. And, I mean, it's a partial list, but, you know, the laser, uh, the FM radio, GPS, uh, fetal monitoring, advanced methods of of surveying public opinion, uh, even Viagra. Uh, vitamins A and and D Uh, they all came out of a research university and every single day we use things technology devices um, innovations that have come out of the genius of uh, faculty and staff and students and we have a lot of deficits in our country and I would argue that our our research universities are not one of them they continue to be the envy of the entire world
1: it's one of the reasons that I, I, I whenever I have a, a down moment and I think we all do during this thing where we just think, Man, you know, when 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 is life going to when when do I get to get back? I it's one of the things that always kinda of gives me some optimism is that there are brilliant people at uh research institutions like Johns Hopkins and others that are working day and night, literally around the clock, to come up with uh antibody tests, working on vaccines. Um Working on um, treatments that uh, can can stop symptoms from progressing, and I just have to—I just choose to believe that that uh, we're going to have breakthroughs, and we're going to have breakthroughs sooner rather than later, and that um, we're going to have a a whole new set of heroes when it's done. There's going to be people that you you talk about the football games and the baseball games, and there's going to be people that uh, that that throw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium or at Camden Yards or Wrigley Field or Dodger Stadium or wherever, and And there's going to be crowds full of people that give standing ovations to the the, the men and women who came up with an antibody test or a vaccine or or a treatment. I just think that's absolutely going to happen. I do. I, I choose to believe that.
4: Well, I would agree 110%. And uh, I'm a person of faith, and I believe we're put in positions where, uh, sure, we're tried, we're tested. Um, America has has done it before, and we're going to do it again. Uh, we're a country based on innovation, and we celebrate that innovation. and And I certainly hope we'll fund it. I I hope we also realize that there is no uh, substitute for science and for data. and uh, you no know, institutions have to make and governments have to make hard decisions but an investment in people and in the development of and uh, the, the development of new knowledge and its application and its dissemination uh, for the benefit of society should be our, our our I believe our top priority so I'm with you there are people working on this night and day and we're in a lot better shape than we were in 1918 in terms of having to deal with the Spanish flu, which, by the way, killed between 50 and 100 million people worldwide. So, just to give perspective to everybody, here we were coming out of uh, you know the war to end all wars and the, just the horrific uh, numbers of casualties from World War One, and then all of a sudden, on the heels of that, here comes this uh, this flu epidemic and kills almost a million people in the United States. So. We've uh, rebounded before and we'll rebound again, Neil.
1: I agree completely. Well, listen, thanks so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, My best to you and yours. Stay safe and uh, stay in touch.
4: All right. Thanks so much. And all the best to all your listeners, too, Neil. Thank you.
1: Thank you.